We need to have people feel that they're comfortable to come and apply for our programs and know that there's a place for them within the IBEW, not only as workers, but in leadership roles as well. And so that's our goal is, is we continue to diversify and have in our ranks that we're also making sure that we have some of those same individuals have the opportunity to get the training and education they need to move in leadership roles of their local unions and leadership roles within the international union. Welcome to Electric Perspectives, a podcast that explores how America's electric companies are working to deliver the reliable, affordable, secure, and clean energy that powers our economy and our everyday lives. The show is brought to you by EEI, the Edison Electric Institute, which represents all U.S. investor-owned electric companies. I'm your host, Brian Real. On this episode of Electric Perspectives, EEI Vice President of External Affairs, Brad Viator, is joined by three energy industry leaders to reflect on National Landworker Appreciation Day and the hard work landworkers do all year long to keep the lights on. They also will discuss how government, labor, and energy partners are working together to build a skilled energy workforce, diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives, the bipartisan infrastructure bill, and more. I'll turn it over to Brad to introduce today's guests. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Electric Perspectives podcast. And today we have the great pleasure of really getting to dig in and have a um, sort of robust conversation about providing clean energy for the American economy. And I'm joined today by three very knowledgeable folks who really come at this at this problem from, from all different sides. Uh, I've got the Lonnie Stevenson, the international president of the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers. I've got Tom Kuhn, the president of the Edison Electric Institute. And I've got Jennifer Kropke, the Department of Energy, Energy Jobs director, who are going to really dig in deep and uh, answer this uh, sort of challenge and all the questions that we're facing in and around clean energy. So really look forward to the conversation. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for giving us the time. You know, before we dig in and really get into a lot of these uh, topics, you know, we're, we're recording here at the beginning of August, and we just lost a legend in the labor movement uh, in the AFL-CIO President Richard Trumka. So I'd like to ask if we could take a, a, a moment of silence for Mr. Trumka. Thank you. And Lonnie, I know that he is someone, uh, Richard Trumka was somebody that you had a relationship with, pretty pretty good one at that. Do you have any, any thoughts, anything you'd like to share on his life, legacy, and impact? Yes, thank you, Brad. Uh, you know, President Trump is a very good friend of mine. I've known him for several years, and he is a, he's a real advocate, obviously, for working people in his position. And throughout his entire career, when he was uh, first elected as president with the mine workers, I think 33 years old, uh, he's virtually committed his whole life to the labor movement and supporting working people. And at the same time, he always recognized the importance of having a working relationship with the employers along the way. So it's a huge loss. Um, for all of us in the labor movement, and really a huge loss for our country. Thank you for acknowledging. Look, absolutely. People like that, that just really change the game and change the way we work, their, their impact can't be overstated. So thanks for, th thanks for sharing that. You know, um, this is uh, the summer is really one of the, the periods of time where we in the industry are thinking a lot about our labor partners. I mean, we think about them every day, but particularly over the summer, uh, July 10th, every year we celebrate Line Worker Appreciation Day. We're here recording this in August leading up to Labor Day that, you know, this is just a period of time where we're talking about all the hard work that labor leaders are doing. The fact that they're, they're out there in the trenches, making sure we have access to electricity. So with that, I thought I'd ask each of you a bit about it. So as sort of esteemed leaders in the industry, what does Line Worker Appreciation Day bring to mind for you? And maybe I'll uh, start with Tom. Well, Line Worker Appreciation Day was a very, very special celebration for our industry. It was a, a resolution that was uh, you know, endorsed by hundreds of members of Congress. And the line workers are the heroes of our industry. Uh, when major natural events happen, hurricanes, uh, people flee them. 
our line workers go into them to uh, to work 24-7 to restore electricity. So uh, it is just inspirational what they do. Uh, we've had a you know a pandemic, a uh, historic uh, hurricane season and wildfire season, uh, and uh, continue to have these major events. And the line workers are just always there getting the job done. Thanks, Tom. Lonnie, what about you? What, what does Line Worker Appreciation Day make you think of? Well, it makes me think, uh, first of all, of our, our uh, founding father. and Henry Miller, uh, the IBW, was a line worker and actually fell off a pole um, working in D.C. and, and uh, you know and, and lost his life where they actually fell off a ladder on a pole. Um, so that's why, you know, we always pick the date that we, we do is to in reflection of him. But, you know, IBEW members have been working on front lines 24 hours a day, seven days a week throughout the COVID-19 pandemic and ensuring that safe and reliable electric service for all. And our members have also been in the front lines in response to some of the worst natural disaster seasons, as Tom mentioned, you know, and unfortunately witnessed, you know, several significant hurricane, hurricanes that have hit the Gulf and Atlantic coast, record-setting wildfires in California and Oregon, and 100-mile-an-hour straight-line winds in the Midwest. IBAW members responded to each of those disasters, oftentimes around the first ones to respond after these unfortunate events. Well, everybody else was leaving to get out of the storms. We're waiting and getting ready to go in there to, to immediately start restoring power for those communities that are affected. And our members are able to respond quickly to these disasters, and much because of the partnership we have with EEI and their member companies and, and their mutual aid um, program they put together that we can bring line workers virtually from all over the country to a targeted area to make sure we're getting properly trained and skilled workers there to get the power and restore the, the lights for everybody. Everybody wants to have the lights on and that's what we do. So it's very important to us to recognize um, the line workers because a lot of people I don't think really understand what they do do each and every day. We well, you know somebody who really understands what they do every day is uh, Jennifer Kropke. And Jennifer, prior to this new role of uh, being director of energy jobs at the Department of Energy, you also worked for a local. Is that is that right? Can you tell us a little bit about your uh, kind of history uh, there, and then also tell us uh, your sort of share some of your perspective on Line Worker Appreciation Day? Well, I, I can start by saying if we are talking about Line Worker Day, I come from a little bit of a different place um, than President Stevenson, which is of utmost gratitude and appreciation. Many people do not know when there is any type of a catastrophic event. It is line workers who are going in unequivocally to the aid of their community and of other areas. So if I had to pick any, something to describe line workers, I would say profound gratitude for turning the power back on. And the second is, is when we talk about line workers and the safety standards that have established by the IBEW, this is not unskilled work. This is high voltage. These are areas where people can be harmed, electrocuted and killed. And it is because of the safety standards of the IBEW that we don't have people injured just doing their day job. So my, my position is, is gratitude, appreciation, appreciation for the call that they answer. And then as well, um, you asked a little bit about what I, what I did prior to this. I had the great privilege and pleasure of working for both IBEW Local 11 and the National Electrical Contractors Association through their Labor Management Cooperation Committee. I was IBEW Local 11's first Director of Workforce and Environmental Engagement. And the call was very simple. We want to electrify everything. So my position was, let's do that. Let's electrify transportation. Let's electrify the ports. Let's electrify everything we can and make sure that IBEW is involved in all of that so that we're creating good union careers. Excellent, Jennifer. That's that's great. And I think a good transition to what I want to dig into next. Um, every energy policy conversation in Washington these days seems to begin and end with a focus on climate change. And I think rightfully so, um, and the need to really strengthen and modernize the energy grid to combat uh, all the increased threats we're seeing, whether it's the wildfires out in California, the hurricanes out east, her, uh, the winter storm Uri that we saw in Texas back in February. There are just a lot of challenges out there uh, that are that are being presented by 
uh, by the climate. And this industry is really jumping in and trying to figure out how they're going to solve it. So my question, I guess, is this. Uh, what role do you think government, labor, and industry will play in this fight uh, as we prepare the nation's energy infrastructure to sort of deal with this climate threat? And maybe I'll, maybe I'll, I'll, jump around on order. And Jennifer, I might start with you if you don't mind. No, um, I don't mind. And I think it's a very, very timely conversation because we are really at a crux here. We have an opportunity with President Biden's Build Back Better agenda to really make historic investments. We need both the bipartisan infrastructure deal and a bold reconciliation package. Part of that is because we know that we need to upgrade and modernize our grid. We know that we need to do this for all of our climate um, events that are happening, but we know that we also need to do it because we wanna add more to the grid than we've ever done before. So this right now is a historic time. And when we ask what can government, business, unions and laborers do, my thought is if we're speaking about government, I would say leadership leadership. We elect leaders to lead us through historic times to get us to different outcomes. And those are those are exactly what we're looking to do with both of these packages. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, President Stevenson, what about you from the uh, the union and the labor perspective? How do you uh, how do you see this playing out? What role do you think uh, your members play here? Well, I think, um, you know, yesterday's announcement by the Intergovernmental uh, Panel on Climate Change was a stark reminder of the growing concerns that our country and, and really the globe has concerning facing from, from climate change all across the, the globe. Well, climate change is certainly a challenge for our industry. It's also a great opportunity for the IBEW members, and in this case, our EEI uh, companies as well, and, and, uh, and our contractors that do this work. But I was proud to share, you know, the great work that with the members and our members do all across the country. And I was able to serve on, on uh, President Biden's Climate Engagement Advisory Council uh, early on to have a better understanding and work with, with people from various backgrounds on energy policy. And we were able to come together as a, as a, as a group and a council and make recommendations in, in, uh, for, at that time, candidate Biden as he was, as he was putting together his, his uh, climate uh, policies. And I can tell you that, uh, you know, the President Biden agrees with the great challenges and opportunities that's before industry. He understands it. And I hope that he continues. To, we're going to form these like the opportunity for IBW and EEI and others to work with the administration on, as I said, to shape the policy and strengthen our cooperation to meet the challenges. And in addition, the IBW is working with the EEI on important federal policies like taxation, normalization, middle mile broadband build out and electrifying the transportation sector that will benefit our members, EEI member companies, and help the current administration reach the climate goals. So we're very excited to be part of it. Excellent. Thank you, Lonnie. Tom, um, um, how about you? This, uh, this climate fight is not new, uh, something that I know you've been working on for a long time. You want to share some of your perspective there? Well, I couldn't agree more with Jennifer and, uh, and Lonnie. I think this is a incredibly important issue that uh, confronts our country, confronts the globe. Uh, and they said so very much about what is required here in, in terms of leadership. Uh, and I think that we are seeing leadership right now. Uh, you know, when, when Lonnie said he, he, he not only was a member of that uh, transition committee, he was uh, co-chairman and he, uh, a lot of the things that were were in that uh, infrastructure bill and that are in the, you know, the package to follow that Jennifer talked about, were came out of the recommendations that Lonnie and that committee made, uh, and uh, are, I'm so proud of the industry's leadership in this area. Uh, I mean, we are leading the world in carbon reduction emissions, uh, and I think that uh, you know the other word that comes to mind, other than leadership, to me is partnership. We are, we are definitely partnering uh, with Secretary Granholm from DOE, who's a terrific leader. Lonnie is an unbelievably fantastic leader. And I think the, uh, you know, the, the industry is out in a leadership role and it, it, is, it requires that. Uh, Lonnie came to us at the, when, he, when he became president of IBEW and talked about the code of excellence. That code of excellence has been adopted by our industry and has been uh, 
and it is just showing up in so many great ways in terms of the good work we're doing. Uh, and it is wonderful. And I think that, you know, right now, electricity is being, you know, designated as the solution to climate change. It's not, we, we used to be looked upon as a problem and now we're looked upon as the solution. And I, I think it gives us a tremendous opportunity to each and every one of the uh, workers in our business. Well, let's move from climate onto the next kind of piece of that puzzle, which is carbon. Um, you know, one of the things that that we talk about as as kind of the solution to this climate crisis is uh, significant reduction and ultimately elimination of carbon emissions. Um, if, if you know we're, we're going to face this thing head on. Um, can you talk a bit about how your organization and members or the government, uh, in your case, Jennifer, uh, are leading the way in carbon elimination? And I guess to keep the changing order up, Lonnie, I might go to you first. Well, thank you. And, you know, we have thousands of IBEW members working from coast to coast that are already currently working on the front lines as we meet the clean, clean energy transition and to address climate change. The IBEW has a deep history with clean electrical generation going back decades when IBEW members helped build and operate the first civilian nuclear power station actually in Pennsylvania and helped build and operate the system of hydroelectric dams in the Pacific Northwest. Today, IBEW members are, are working with EEI members and others and, and companies installing offshore wind turbines all across the, the uh, coast of Virginia. We're constructing and maintaining the largest utility scale farms in Nevada and installing electric vehicle charging stations in Ohio. That's just to, to name the few examples that we're currently working on. The Electrical Training Alliance is our IBEW's training partnership with electrical contractors. And we have over 340 uh, training programs located in really every corner of the United States. And it's a five-year registered apprenticeship program. So we continue to trade our members, so they're ready for the next kind of energy and moving into the new technologies. We're constantly updating and training to meet those demands, all with the with the direction of going to a carbon-free uh, environment. And of course, you know, we have uh, spoke very often and with the administration of, of the need to consider things like carbon capture technologies and others uh, to meet some of the carbon uh, you know, reductions while we while we're moving into the next gener generation of energy. Thank you, uh, Tom. How about you? What uh, can you give a little bit of an overview of of your industry's clean energy leadership and focus on carbon elimination? Well, I, I think Lonnie gave you a taste of it of, of all the different kinds of things that are happening across the spectrum because of the great workers in our industry and uh, and their leadership. Uh, our industry. Uh, since 2005 has reduced our carbon emissions by more than 40%. Now that is a, an, a, a really tremendous accomplishment. Uh, and we've done that while we've kept electricity rates affordable and reliable. Uh, and it is, you know, we are talking about in the future, uh, we are gonna be, you know, probably by 2030, uh, reducing more than 50%. Uh, by 2050, uh, uh, we, most of our companies are talking about net carbon, uh, net zero carbon emissions. And I think that's, you know, that's a result of the technologies that the workers are doing, the nuclear plants, the uh, hydro facilities, uh, uh, solar, wind, uh, natural gas has helped us move uh, off of coal uh, and, and, and But we have to maintain also the reliability and affordability that, that our customers expect. And again, that's the result of those people in the IBEW are out there every day, making sure that we get cleaner as, as uh, fast as we can, uh, and as reliably and, and inexpensively as we can. Uh, and I think that's a, a, a great accomplishment that our industry should be very proud of. Absolutely. Jennifer, can you talk to us a bit about the workforce, the workforce that is being built uh, for uh, carbon elimination and also a bit of what that workforce of the future is going to look like? I'll tell you right now that workforce of the future is going to be apprenticeship based union workers at the Department of Energy. We are really focusing on embracing broad 
apprenticeship-based careers for all of our work, not just our work that is carbon-based, but also our work that is renewable energy-based. Part of the way that we are really re-envisioning is, is we have an unbelievably proud tradition of research and innovation and technology at the Department of Energy. But under President Biden and Secretary Granholm, we are taking ownership of jobs, quality of jobs. Are they high road jobs that pay family sustaining wages? Are we hiring workers or independent contractors? Are we dealing with misclassification? Are we union in every place that we ultimately can be? So from our perspective, we are really thinking about this in terms of really creating apprenticeship-based pathways in all of our work and really re-envisioning our workforce development efforts to think about, are we thinking about research and technology and developing a training? Not anymore. We are evolving now and saying, what is the new research and how are we tacking that onto an existing broad-based career? So that if someone wants to come in doing solar, let's have them do that at the beginning of their apprenticeship. And then let's have them doing advanced motor controls. Let's have them turn out and do something where they can make a family sustaining wage, support a family, have healthcare, have retirement, have everything that every American should have an opportunity to receive. You know, Brad, if I can jump in here a little bit, I, I think that, uh, you know, we are the most capital intensive industry in the country. Uh, we spend, we're spending now about $140 billion a year on all these technologies. The climate challenge is a huge challenge, so it requires that kind of investment. Uh, but it's people that get the job done. Uh, and, you know, all that training that goes into the, you know, uh, a, a skilled worker in our industry, uh, you know, requires people that really can deal with the dangerous situations that Jennifer, Jennifer mentioned and the new technologies and the challenges that are going on. And that, uh, you know, I get a kick out of the fact that, uh, uh, you know, Lonnie, uh, ever since I've known him, has talked about the high paid union jobs. Now you'll hear the president every time he talks about the climate challenge, uh, he'll talk about you know the high-paid union jobs are necessary to get this job done. Yeah, I think you're. I think you're absolutely right there. And maybe to stick with the topic a little bit, Lonnie, I might dig in with you. Um, I know we talked. We talked earlier a bit about the new TIF program. So it's not just what they're doing over at the Department of Energy, but IBEW is really leading the way on a lot of these uh, innovative trading programs in, around these careers. Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, like I, you know, like I said before, uh, you know, a new TIF was. You know, we put together, it's a, it's a national utility industry training fund. And we started that several years ago. We started talking with our utility, and I always call them our utility partners. As Tom knows, I, I refer to our utility companies as partners all the time. But we started thinking about it. And at that time, we were talking about the baby boomers and the generation of, of linemen that's going to be retired. And the importance of having a new pool of people enter the industry and, uh, you know, because really once a lineman is trained and they're done and they're considered a journeyman, they're really just starting their career because then they then they really, uh, you know, once it's on their shoulders then to make the decisions and do things right. So the new TIF was started as a way that we could work with our utility partners and, and have training, standardized training was put together through our national NJATC program in conjunction with the utilities. So we could have kind of a standardized training and people, we could run them through this new trip, UTIF training. It's almost like a, a boot camp. They go through the initial training, learn some things, know what the job entails. And then the idea was to give our utility companies the opportunity to look at people that have gone through that program when they're looking to hire and know that they've they've already been trained on the on the basic skills and stuff, you know, to go into our industry and be successful. So we're very proud of of that program and you know and our and our utility companies, you know, Alabama Power, part of the Southern companies, they've got one of the best training uh, facilities I think in the country, and build around that new TIF idea and getting all their employees and 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 others trained as well. So we're pretty excited about that program. I'd love to pile on here because one of the things that we're really focusing on is apprenticeship-based careers, but also skill certifications. You know, we, we have an entire toolbox of ways to create good jobs, good union jobs. And you've probably heard Secretary Granholm say, we want the future built by union hands. One of the great things about skill certifications and training programs is 
IBEW has set the standard for the entire industry to follow in terms of developing programs that work, that are effective, and that help better the entire industry as opposed to just the IBEW. That's one of the things that is really worth mentioning in these conversations is organizations like IBEW set the standard, but they don't just set the standard for their own members. It's a standard that lifts up the entire industry as a whole. Those are the exact types of things that we're looking to call out in our work at the Department of Energy in terms of creating great jobs in the future. Absolutely, thank you, Jennifer. Um, Tom, I wanna to dig in on uh, on some other policy issues on Capitol Hill. Uh, the This clean energy standard seems to be gaining some momentum. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, your perspective on that? Well, I think that uh, Jennifer also mentioned the uh, administration-supported bipartisan infrastructure bill that's just passed. That, uh, uh, and, you know, there's a trillion dollars and there's an awful lot of uh, important things in there for electricity and electrification in the future. The uh, issue of the clean energy standard is supposed to come up in the reconciliation bill that, that will follow. Uh, and a clean energy or clean electricity standard uh, is, you know, will set out goals for where we might want to get by 2030. Uh, and we'll talk about uh, incentives for the, the industry and the companies to uh, continue uh, to uh, uh, move toward more clean energy. And I think that uh, we are supportive of the concept. I think the details would be very, very important. Uh, and it's going to have to make sure that we address the communities that are going to be affected by this, the power plants that might be closed, uh, the training programs that we need to have to adjust workers to, you know, from some of the plants to, uh, to, to the more clean plants in the future. So there's, a, there's a, an awful lot of uh, details that, that have to be done. But I, again, I think these are all issues that, that Secretary Granholm talks about that are important. Uh, and getting this done, uh, Lonnie and I have been talking to a whole lot of policymakers together, which is a uh, really a you know a thing that they're I, I don't think used to seeing industry and labor together uh, singing the same messages and talking about the same issues. So it's 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 an incredibly important thing for our future. Uh, and the, uh, Lonnie mentioned the tax tax uh, issues that are going to be coming up too. In relationship to those things too, but all of it is um, is is really designed to help us uh, get to the next step with respect to uh, the clean energy future. Thanks, Tom. And you you kind of got into the the next topic here and talking about that infrastructure bill a bit. So I appreciate you uh, you, you leading me the witness there uh, into that discussion. So I'll I'll open that conversation up. Uh, to the to the rest of the group. I think there's a lot of excitement in and around Washington about this infrastructure bill. There's a whole heck of a lot of stuff in it uh, and a lot of stuff that uh, many of us are are excited about. Um, can you all talk about that infrastructure bill, some of the things that you uh, that you see in there that, that you're um, particularly excited about uh, and just some of the impact that you think that uh, infrastructure bill will have on uh, workforce and industry? So that maybe I'll, I'll go to Lonnie. Yes, thank you. And uh, we're very excited, uh, you know, at the passage of the infrastructure bill. Of course, we know it's got to go to the House yet, but, you know, to get together as a bipartisan, uh, I think the entire country, when, you know, setting aside the politics, everybody understands the need for infrastructure in this country. And it's also, you know, it's not just infrastructure. It doesn't mean just building roads and bridges. It's much more than that. You know, there's so many things in there like, you know, expanding broadband, you know, I think we got areas of the country that does not have access to broadband. You know, there's some uh, funding in there for, you know, the transmission. You think about the electric grid, as soon as, as as we continue to evolve from where we're at today, I've heard, I've heard some people say we almost need double the transmission and grid that we have today to meet the demands of the future. And so they're looking at that. They're looking at the 
um, the charging stations for the electric vehicles. If we move into the electric vehicles, you know, I was in some uh, a Zoom meeting with uh, many of the auto dealers a few months ago and talking about the transition to electric vehicles. And the one thing that the customers are going to want to buy those electric vehicles, we have to have the infrastructure. So if they're going down the highway, they have places to stop and charge your vehicle. You're not going to go cross country today because it'd be such a challenge. But there's so many things that need to be in this part of this bill. Um, and we're so excited and, and really opportunities for us to advance again uh, to meet the the uh, president's objective and to, you know, creating good quality jobs and at the same time moving us in a, you know, in a cleaner energy and, and move us into the next uh, generation, uh, you know, and take our country in a whole new direction of how how we uh, move around the country and how we participate. So we're excited about it. There's, there's so much in that in that bill, like, you know, I could talk for hours about it, um, but we're, we're very happy to see it pass and in a bipartisan way. You know, the president was was, you know, dedicated from the very beginning. You know, he said that he can get work done and, and he can work across the aisle. And truly, infrastructure is one of those, like I said before, any politician you talk to one on one, they're gonna, they, they support infrastructure. It's always, you know, the politics have gotten away, but the president has found a way to bring us together and get this done. And we're pretty excited about it. I think that's well said. Jennifer, how about you? What's your perspective on, on this bill? You're having me follow international president Stevenson. This is a tough act, <laughs> a tough act to follow, gentlemen, um, but I will try my best. Um, here's what excites me. It's $550 billion in new spending within this bipartisan infrastructure deal. This shows that Democrats and Republicans can agree on historic investments that are going to make our country stronger and more competitive. Here's the best part. There's no Republican or Democrat transmission or distribution line. This is for all of us. And this is something that we will all benefit from. This helps us tackle the climate crisis by making the largest investment in clean energy transmission and, e in, and EV infrastructure in history and electrifying thousands of school and transit buses across the country. I'm going to bring you back to my initial conversation around electrify everything. Here we go. That's what excites me about this. Let's go on this. You know, so you talk about following President Stevenson. And I got to follow President <laughs> uh, But, you know, bipartisanship is a hard thing to find these days. And and the fact that, uh, that it, it, it is being achieved is incredible. You know, the vote today and uh and the senate was 69 to 30. uh and that's you know that's a that's real bipartisanship uh and i think it is an incredibly exciting thing for our country uh, for our nation that's going to do all those things that uh that lonnie and uh, jennifer mentioned and it is going to require a in the aftermath once the house passes it and the president signs it a lot of partnership with respect to you know labor and industry and uh, you know the department of energy the government uh to really uh implement it uh you know there's so much in there there's so many important programs in there uh new technologies new low carbon technologies that we're going to have to work on together uh in addition to electrification of transportation and the commercial and industrial sector so it it again i think it's going to open up just some tremendous opportunities for everybody in this business. Thanks, Tom. I think you're. I think you're right. You know, it's one of those topics that um, we hear about with every new administration that's coming in. Oh, there's broad agreement that we need to do something on infrastructure, but the Republicans and the Democrats haven't been able to agree on what that is until now. And so, I think this is pretty monumental. The leadership we're seeing out of the Biden administration and in both houses of Congress. You said it a second ago, Tom. Sixty-nine votes in a fifty-fifty Senate. Um, so it, it's one of those things in a time where I think we need some hope, it seems like we're getting some, so, uh, I know there's a long way to go, but it's, it's good to see this kind of progress. Well, let's, let's move from, uh, one big success 
uh, to another topic that I know all of you uh, in your organizations are, are dealing with uh, individually and, and really trying to create new opportunities there. And that's around the prioritization of diversity, equity, and inclusion. You know, that's uh, one of the biggest topics out there right now, and I think rightfully so. And you're all uh, involved in the leadership organizations that are really thinking about this and prioritizing this. So I'd love to hear about your efforts. And Jennifer, to make it to where you don't have to follow President Stevenson, I'm going to start with you. <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate that kindness that you're showing me today, Brad. Um, <laughs> I'm really, really excited about uh, Secretary Granholm's focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion and the efforts being led by Shalonda Baker in our office that really focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion. But the big question is, what does it actually look like in practice? We talk about policy ideals, but how are we planning to effectuate those policies? And this is where my background in the IBEW, I believe, serves me very well to be able to say, if you care about people being paid the same, you want a collective bargaining agreement. If you want everyone making the same wage, regardless of whether they come from Black, uh, Indigenous, people of color, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, two-spirit, whichever group may not have had access to these types of jobs in the past, we want them having the opportunity to make the same wages. So let's start with what they're getting paid, but let's also focus on career pipelines for them. How are we getting them into our apprenticeships in the first place? How are we making it so that they have access onto our job sites? And that's where, again, some of our tools in our toolbox come in handy is project labor agreements, targeted hire provisions, making sure that our job sites reflect the diversity of our great country and making sure that we are truly using all of our tools to build back better. There are some great examples being set by many IBEW locals, really focusing on how do we make this great for everyone? How can everyone have the same great opportunity that these types of great union careers provide I think it starts with the policy, but I think it also follows with how we effectuate those policies and utilizing all of these tools that we know to exist on all of our projects here at the Department of Energy, whether we're talking about our procurement, whether we're talking about our financial assistance, and whether we're talking about our loans. We're in the process at the Department of Energy of really doing a great legal analysis around how do we attach all of these standards? Where can we require them? And where we can't require them, how can I incentivize you to make you want to do this voluntarily? That's what we're focusing on. Thank you, Jennifer. Tom, I'll go to you. Uh, you want to talk a bit about diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, in the utility sector and what's going on there? For sure, Brad. You know, we have uh, obviously hundreds of thousands of workers in our industry that uh, are in every community across the country. And, you know, that we can do the job so much better if we reflect the customers and the communities that we serve uh, and, 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 and build on the teamwork that we need from the, the skills that people bring, uh, the experiences that they bring from, uh, from uh, you know, the different parts of society and where they come from. And I, I really do think that the industry is focused on this in a major way. Our, our board is, is totally behind it as a, and all the companies in the industry are, are working uh, with EEI to uh, you know, expand our DEI programs to make sure we are accomplishing the goals that Jennifer just mentioned. Uh, and it, it really is inspiring to see the sharing of idea. It's, now, I call it the power by association that we all work together and we all come up uh, with uh, a lot of ideas. Uh, we're obviously working closely with IBAW on this goal. And I know Lonnie is committed to it also, so I'll turn it over to him. Well, thank you. And, you know, when I became international president six years ago, uh, it's been one of my top priorities from the beginning. As, as Tom mentioned before, you know, he had mentioned our code of excellence. Code of excellence is one of my top priorities. Diversity and inclusion is, is right there. They go hand in hand, side by side. 
And so I've been focusing on that. In our last convention in, in 2016, we actually passed a resolution um, creating a, a committee, diversity and inclusion committee. And we had about 33 people, I think, that we appointed and wanted to make sure we had everybody included in that committee from you know across the United States and Canada, you know, all of our different branches that we represent, but also people of color, you know, women, people of LBGTQ community. I mean, you name it, we tried to make sure that everybody was represented in, in, in those first couple of meetings. We met uh, two weekends in a row in Baltimore and just did some uh, initially just some training to kind of uh, make us all aware of that we all have biases, whether we realize it or not. And that was an eye opener because I've never felt myself to be, you know, discriminatory against anybody. But yet when you think about it, um, sometimes your biases is not always on, on necessarily on the color of someone's skin or, or, their, or their race. It may be as something as simple as an accent. You know, you hear someone with an accent, you immediately think about that area where you assume that person's from. So we got these biases. So we started working on that and building on that in that committee. And we continue to make sure that, uh, especially in the construction side, um, construction has been primarily dominated white males uh, for years. We've been changing that, working hard to change that. And some areas of the country are, are really doing some great work in that regard. And, uh, but, you know, we've, we started looking at it and thought we, we need to have people feel that they're comfortable to come and apply for our programs and know that there's a place for them within the IBEW, not only as workers, but in leadership roles as well. And so that's our goal is, is we continue to, to diversify and have, have, you know, in our, in our ranks that we're also making sure that we have some of those same individuals have the opportunity to get the training and education they need to move in leadership roles of their local unions and leadership roles within the international union. And so now we're what we call the IBEW Strong Initiative has all evolved from this. And that's kind of our next step. And it's going and provide training and education. We'll go into each local union individually and, and do a, a training for them and their officers and, and tell them why it's good for them. Like, like Tom said, you know, we're a stronger union if we reflect the people that, that we represent, the, the, the communities that we live in, that we work in. And so I think uh, very excited about it. Uh, we've got some great things going across all of our industries, particularly with, with our utility companies. Um, you know, we've got a company out in, in, uh, in, in Detroit that now has, we get put together a program with DTE actually on uh, people that are incarcerated and they can get some initial training and they, they get when they're, when they finish, you know, and get released um, that they're given direct entry to go into our program for our line clearance training. And then the, the thought is that once they get in there and learn that, I'll give them an opportunity to get into alignment training and become alignment for the utility. Uh, they've been doing some great things all over the country and, and actually in Jennifer's home local and, you know, in, in L.A., they've been uh, leading the way for years of, of really making sure that we're more inclusive in everything we do. Uh, we're also I just last week did a, a joint video uh, with one of again, one of our utility companies, Berkshire Hathaways, on this topic, talking about the importance of, of reflecting the communities that we work in. So, you know, as Tom said, you know, we start out, we work real close with, with all of our utility companies, EEI members on the code of excellence, and now diversity is going hand in hand and, and, and you know, working together on that. And we're really excited of the opportunities and where we're going to go in the future. Well, I'm, I'm heartened to hear about all the work that all of you are doing. And I, I know it's a, a it's a very complicated problem and it's one that's existed for such a long period of time that we're not just going to solve it immediately. But for me to hear uh, just about all of your leadership and focus and how it rises to the very top makes me feel like, uh, you know, the opportunities tomorrow to really break down those barriers are going to be better than they were yesterday. So I appreciate your work and leadership there. You know, diversity, equity, and inclusion is certainly a, a critical topic, and I'm glad to see all of your leadership there. But another area where um, I know all of you have been working for some time is with military and people that are coming back from military service and getting them uh, inserted into industry. Um, Lonnie, do you want to tell us a little bit about uh, some of the programs that you're working on at the IBW to get uh, troops into energy jobs and into unions? Yes, thank you. And 
you know, we have what we call our VEEP programs, which vet, Veterans Electrical Entry Program, where, you know, people, while they're still active in the military, they can actually start going through our first year curriculum training. And then when they, when they, when they get out, when they're done, they're guaranteed, uh, you, know, I, you know, direct entry to start our apprenticeship programs. And the great thing about it is not only are we giving back to those who have sacrificed for us by serving in the military, um, they come out, they're, they're used to being in a structured environment. And so when they come into our programs, our training programs, whether it's through, you know, our construction side or, or with new TIF with the utility companies, they're, they're used to being in a, in a structure such as that. So it's just a natural fit. And, uh, and we get some great leadership uh, out of those out of those folks that come in. And again, it's just in fact, you know, I was at we have a what we call a lineman's rodeo. Uh, there's several of them across the country. But a few years ago, I was in Kansas City. And, you know, all these teams come from all over the country and actually uh, even some from abroad come and they, they do a whole weekend of, of showing their skills that they have in, in, uh, in line work and, you know, doing pole rescues and things like that. And there was a military team there. And, uh, and so I went over and introduced myself to them. And this, of course, we didn't have the VEAT program then. And I asked them about, you know, I'm sure that if that's what you're doing, that's probably something that you're probably going to consider want to do as a career when you get out because linemen are very proud. And they're, you know, and when people, once they're alignment, you either love it or it's not for you. There's, there's nobody in between. And so, you know, my anticipation was they would, and all three of them, there was a three man team. They all indicated, yes, absolutely. They were looking to, to continue a career. I wish I'd had the VEAT program then where I could have got them, you know, and made sure they got in. I encourage them to go to their home areas and apply for our programs um, because we have great opportunities to support our military that have been, you know, supporting us. And it's just, again, it's the right thing to do. And, uh, and it makes us a better organization by having them part of our partner of our ranks as membership. Thank you, Jennifer. I know you're excited about this prospect too. You want to, anything you want to add on uh, uh, getting folks from the military into energy jobs? Well, Veteran hire is one of the things that I'm very proud my home local really worked on and really, really began focusing on how do we get more veterans in? How do we get them not only into our apprenticeship, how do we get them turned out and how do we have them take leadership roles within their contractors and within other agencies? Our, my home local, local 11 hired Sergeant Major Mike Kupchak was an unbelievable history with the Marines to really be able to speak out around what a union career does, how important it is, and why within our skilled trades, we need our veterans and we want them to have a great career. Thanks, Jennifer. Um, I know on this topic, Tom, when I joined EEI, the late leader, Tom Farrell from Dominion Energy was really focused on the Troops to Energy Jobs program. And I know that that's something that's close to your heart as a veteran yourself. So uh, in, anything you want to share on uh, how we're transitioning folks from the battlefields uh, into the industry? Well, since we started that program about a decade ago, since um... Uh, it was universally adopted throughout the industry, and and uh, you know Lonnie came on board and, and really uh, initiated the IBW program, and we married them together. We have brought so many incredible employees into our industry that came from the military, where they had tremendous training, where they had that spirit of teamwork and uh, camaraderie, uh, where they had that sense of mission. Uh, and they came into an industry that has so many of the same characteristics and, and needs the people like them uh, that can translate what they did in the, in the military into, uh, into our industry, where they can return to the communities where they may have grown up and raise families with high-paying union jobs. Uh, and to, again, I think uh, they, 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 they make, they, they're making our industry. They're making our industry successful. And... Uh, and it's wonderful and inspirational to see the sense of mission that they have uh, translated from the military into what we're we're doing in our industry. Thank you, Tom. And Jennifer, I want to go back to you to talk uh, again about uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion a bit. Uh, is there any, anything more you'd like to share with us on that topic? I I wanted to 
touch on diversity and equity inclusion, not just from the perspective, perspective of building back better and making sure that our job sites look more like America, but also one of the things that I did when I came in as the director of energy jobs at the Department of Energy was with leadership with fossil energy and carbon management, that programmatic office as well as energy justice, we had a roundtable conversation around energy justice and what does that look like? And I thought, I can tell them about all the efforts that our nation's great unions like the IBEW does, or how about I just bring someone from Local 11 to talk about what a union career did for him. So I, with permission, brought in John Harriel, who's also known as Big John, to come in and tell his story about how when he came out of prison, he attempted to get a job at Taco Bell, how when they found out that he was incarcerated, they would not give him employment, how he applied into our apprenticeship here in Southern California, and then after turning out, became a general foreman and is running some of the most sophisticated projects here in Southern California for Kaiser Hospitals. That's a success story, and there are many like them. It's also why when I did a tutorial for some of my other DOE senior leadership around apprenticeship, I brought someone in from Local 103 to explain to them what an apprenticeship meant and what it means to be an IBEW member. Those are two of many examples that the IBEW has. And I like to say, they're secrets that I don't want to be secrets anymore. They're some of our best kept secrets, but I don't want them to be secrets. I want everyone being aware of what this great union and many great unions are doing to make sure that our job sites look more like America. And that starts with awareness. It starts with awareness of our efforts, of our members, and how we can all make it better. And I will tell you some of the comments that we got after the initial conversation where I brought Big John in to talk was, we never had a meeting like that at the DOE before. That was a great meeting. And I thought, I'm in the right place. I'm exactly where I'm meant to be then. If I've changed your perspective in any way on the great work that unions have done and are continuing to do, it's a great day. Yeah, and one follow-up. Brad, if I may, um, on that topic, again, on the whole diversity. Um, you know, I travel all across the United States and Canada. And many times when I'm going into an area, uh, they'll invite me to go to their training centers. And if I've got time, I can do it. I, I just love going in and, and speaking with the apprentices we have in the program. I can't tell you how many times over the last six years that I've had conversation with the apprentices, that I've had someone come up to me and actually tell me, you know, the IBEW saved my life. And I was kind of taken back. It happened the first time I was at a, in San Diego. I'll never forget it. And this, this uh, gentleman told me that he had been incarcerated and got into the program. He was a fifth year apprentice then about ready to, to turn out. And Jennifer mentioned Big John from Local 11. What a wonderful guy. You know, he's been leading the program for us, not, not only in, in the West Coast in LA, but really all across the country with our you know, we have our electrical workers minority uh, conference or caucus. And so, you know, and, and not only just people that may have been incarcerated, having single mothers come up to me and talk about the IBEW provided an opportunity for them to provide for their families. So, yeah, it, it makes me feel really good when, when that happens, because these are people that uh, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, probably wouldn't have had a chance to get in our program. So it's a good feeling. We've still got a long ways to go, um, but I, I really enjoy having the opportunity to meet with our apprentices and, and witness firsthand. Uh, when I'm looking at that apprentice class, it's a different look today than it was when I went through my program. So we're pretty proud of it. Well, you should be, and with the uh, opportunities we have in our industry and the partnership we have with uh, between industry and IBEW and the Department of Energy and our government uh, and the um, jobs that IBW can continue to offer up, but we will get this job done and it's going to be a very, very exciting situation for, I think, everybody in the business. Well said, Tom. Thank you. Lonnie, you said a trigger word earlier. My favorite topic of the moment is broadband. You talked about it in the infrastructure bill. I think it's fascinating that uh, electric companies are really thinking about bridging this digital divide. And uh, I know there was a bunch of money that was in that infrastructure bill and, and hopefully it'll get deployed to communities that really need it. But um, 
Can I turn to you a little bit to maybe explain that? Explain to the audience sort of what your uh, what your workforce is doing in and around broadband, and and uh, we'll kind of go from there. Sure, absolutely. And as you know, you know we represent members in telecom industry as well, and uh, but working closely. You know, it's hard to believe that, and you wouldn't think that that we have so many areas across the country that have either limited or no access to broadband. You know, in today's world, and and it's so important that we get out to those communities, and everybody has an opportunity to have access to it. Even people, you know, that uh, maybe they're, you know the lower income people, everybody should have access to broadband and uh, and and the opportunities it provides. So we're excited about doing that, and you know, and one of the technologies that's being utilized now is is you know we always run into um, you know when you're installing broadband and how do you get you know how are you going to get it distributed. Well, again, working with our electric utilities, uh, many of them now we've got the process where you can provide and run that broadband system really uh, along with our power poles and, you know, part of the integrated uh, part of the system. And uh, in which, again, that that means qualified, um, trained people, because you're not going to have just anybody, you know, climbing up that pole and getting in the middle of high voltage electrical work to go up and work on that broadband. So we're excited about that. And we're excited about working with our utility companies and our telecom companies as we start to build out on that and, you know, and get it out to, to the areas that don't have access to it. And then, you know, there's fiber to the home and actually getting it uh, off those poles and, and where it can be installed in the homes for their use. So uh, we think it's a great opportunity. We think it's great for America that everybody has this access. Absolutely. Tom, I know you've been involved in uh, a lot of this in, in concept and in a lot of conversations with leaders in Congress. Uh, anything you want to add on the broadband opportunity? Well, Brad, a long time ago, you got me excited about this as well. And I think that, uh, you know, the digital divide was probably not a term that a lot of people were very focused on until the pandemic came along. Yeah. We saw just how you know, unserved or underserved communities, what a major difference it made if, if the children couldn't educate, if the people couldn't work from home, um, you know, and 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 so it became a, a huge issue, I think, and it, and it was rightly so, and certainly a um, many members of Congress were involved in it too. Uh, but as Lonnie indicates, there's so many partnership opportunities we can have with the telecom industry uh, you know, the, the utilities are good at putting in infrastructure. And uh, so we put in fiber optic cable for telecommunications for our own operations. It really is, uh, gives a, uh, there's so much additional capacity that can be used to our, for, for uh, again, broadband. If we team up with the internet service providers and uh, that we can build that, that middle mile uh, and uh, then the internet service providers can take it the rest of the way to the customer. So it, it makes tremendous sense. It's the best economic plan for the country, uh, and it's the best thing to do for our customers that uh, want both uh, really reliable electricity as well as broadband service. Well, and Tom, I think one thing that I that I love about it is uh, when the electric companies are making these investments in broadband, uh, in that middle mile infrastructure, not just for the operations of their system, but also to provide uh, access to internet service providers to rural communities that don't have it. The people that are hanging that fiber are members of unions. So, Jennifer, uh, if if there's one message we can leave you with, it's this uh, it's this broadband opportunity and how it creates union jobs. And I know it it might be a little bit uh, not not what you'd think of at first blush as an electric role, but as you're uh, as you're digging in, we're seeing more and more companies do this. And I think it 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 does exactly what you said at the beginning, which is create union jobs and bridge a very severe problem that, as Tom said, uh, the pandemic has has made bare. So I don't know if you have anything you want to add on broadband, Jennifer. No, just to, to talk about the excitement around this potential infrastructure package and the $65 billion that would be allocated towards this. This COVID-19 pandemic really exposed that there is a very significant difference between the access to the internet and it isn't just adults, it's impacting children. And that's really one of the areas of opportunity that is very exciting is, is this high-speed internet and this broadband, all of this is going to create an unbelievable amount of work. And it's work for 
utility workers, it's it's work for line workers, it's work for inside, used to be called wiremen, and now I'm hearing the term inside wire persons. It's going to create an unbelievable amount of work in this area. And it also demonstrates something that probably, gents, we may have known already. When the United States Energy and Employment Report was issued by the Department of Energy, it really laid out the statistics on how great a job it is to work for a utility and to have a union career in a utility. These are unbelievable jobs that high-speed internet, broadband, transmission and distribution, it's going to create an unbelievable amount of great jobs for Americans. So it's, it's definitely an opportunity for us. It's going to create an unbelievable amount of great union jobs. And it's also going to bridge the gap for many Americans who very much need and deserve it. Um, thank you, Jennifer. I think that's a, a great uh, a great note to end on. When I when I think of the endorsements that mattered for President Biden, I think of uh, uh, President Stevenson, who sat there on that energy transition, and I also think of Jim Clyburn in South Carolina, who really recharged uh, recharged the operation when he issued his endorsement. And this is one area for exactly the reason you said. That uh, that he's been focused on, uh, you know, kids who are sitting there in South Carolina and don't have access to broadband and have to drive to the high school parking lot to get access. It's just not it's not right. We're better than that. We've got a big infrastructure bill and a bunch of money that we can spend to equalize opportunity. And uh, I'm, I'm happy to see that it's happening. And I'm ready to uh, I'm, I'm ready to see us close this gap real quick. Absolutely. So, well. Thank you. Uh, this has been uh, a really excellent conversation. And I know with with leaders like the three of you, uh, as I said earlier, I feel like tomorrow is going to be better than today was. So thanks for your leadership. Thanks for digging in uh, on these uh, complicated and thorny topics and uh, look forward to, to staying in touch and keeping the conversation going. Thank you. Thank you for Thank the invitation. You. I appreciate it. Thanks, Absolutely. everybody, for the partnership. And that's our show for today. Thank you for listening and come back next week to hear more from experts and industry leaders who are talking about the innovative ways electric companies are building a cleaner, smarter, stronger energy future for the customers and communities they serve. You can subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Podbeam, or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Electric Perspectives. I'm your host, Brian Real. Thanks for listening.